Welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Revelant, and I'm a journalist, healthcare copywriter, and a mom of two. In every episode, we talk about the challenges around feeding kids and give you practical and realistic solutions that will inspire and empower you to raise healthy eaters. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the podcast and the last episode of season seven. I hope you enjoyed last week's interview with Kristen Hong when we talked about how to organize your refrigerator for healthy eating. So your kids are back in school and you know what that means, among other things, right? They're going to get sick. Last year, both of my kids lost 10 days of school and my youngest, she got COVID for the second time. The first time she was sick for six weeks and this time was only about a week, but she was so dizzy and just miserable. So needless to say, I'm sick of them being sick. And even though I know it's not totally avoidable, I'm doing everything I can to keep them healthy. I'm loading them up with supplements, trying to get them outside, and I'm making sure they're getting plenty of sleep. And I'm doing my best to get a lot of fruits and vegetables in their diets, which, as you know, is always tough. Kids have taste buds, and what we're trying to do is develop those taste buds and develop those taste buds to have an appreciation for that type of food. That's Dr. Taz Batia, a board-certified integrative medicine physician, a wellness expert, and founder of Center Spring MD, an award-winning medical and wellness practice in Atlanta focused on health transformation. Dr. Taz is also a best-selling author, and she's been a guest on the Today Show, Good Morning America, and CNN. And she's the host of the Superwoman Wellness Podcast. Dr. Taz gives us everything we need to know about COVID and monkeypox, how to boost your kid's immune system, and the best superfoods to focus on. She also talks about the best vitamins, supplements, and probiotics, how to get your kids more active, and what you can do to help them with stress, anxiety, and sleep. There's a ton of information in this episode that will help you keep your kids healthy this school year. And I know you're going to love this interview with Dr. Taz. Well, Dr. Taz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about your story. Well, I actually started my career in pediatrics and it's still a passion. I mean, I still feel like I'm not done there. I there's so much work to do when it comes to children's health and talking about what that really means. And there's so many new challenges nowadays, but I just love kids. I thought I'd be that person with like 15 kids and, uh, you know, staying at home and doing a lot of that stuff. But I've always loved children. I've always loved their hope and their optimism and their promise. So when I went through med school and residency, I focused on pediatrics and came out working um, in the pediatric emergency room with the intention of going back and doing a pediatric ICU type fellowship. But Along the way, I did a lot of advocacy type work, like I would, you know, get into uh, different projects to improve information around children's nutrition, worked a lot on the issue of child abuse and advocating for that, you know, really tried, you know, and still today feel motivated by like trying to make children's lives better. But a lot of my personal story is a lot about how I grew up and seeing you know, how having unhealthy parents, whether they were unhealthy emotionally or physically, you know, or spiritually or in all those different ways, how it really impacted us as children and kind of set the course for so many different things down the road. So that's where I sort of veered and even in the ER got kind of uh, got moved into working with more adults. So everything was pushing me in this direction 
of being like, oh my gosh, I need to go back to, you know, this fundamental concept of, of dealing with the whole family and the family as a unit if you want to make children healthy. And, you know, if you know my story, like I got sick through the whole process of, of training to be a doctor and going through medical school and residency and then working the ER with all the crazy shifts. And in that process of getting sick, didn't get answers for my own personal health. And as I started diving in and trying to solve my own puzzle and and really studying Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine and nutrition and all these different things, you know, one of the fundamentals of Chinese medicine, in fact, the principle upon which it was based is that you don't separate women from children. They're such an integral unit and one can't be healthy without the other and vice versa. And that resonated so much with me because again, going back to my childhood home and seeing how, you know, how that dynamic played out and honestly continues to play out today, you know, I just became really passionate about treating that unit. So when I opened my integrative and holistic practice in 2009 here in Atlanta, you know, it was, you know, our, our um, logo, everything was all about the woman and the child. In fact, the original logo, if you look back 13, 14 years, was this image of a woman and a child, kind of like the outline. And I was pretty passionate about that, taking care of them and really understanding the factors at play in that dynamic. And as the practice, of course, grew over the years, you know, people started bringing the men in. They're like, please see my husband, please see my brother, please see, you know, this one, that one. And so ultimately we expanded to really making it a whole family practice, thinking about the entire family as a unit and how we can make the whole family um, healthy. So now we see everyone, we see an entire family structure. We may have, you know, it can start in different places. Sometimes it starts with the the male member of the family and moves on to the kids and the wife. And other times it starts with the kid and moves on to the parents and the grandparents, but it's so much fun. And it's really gratifying work to, to understand that healing the family is ultimately what heals children. They don't exist in kind of like this isolated vacuum. Wow, that's such a refreshing perspective, right? I think that so much in pediatrics is, you know, get in, get out, quick appointments, yep. right? Yeah, medicine. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, COVID, I think, has probably changed some of the viruses, maybe, or illnesses that we're seeing. And so what should parents expect at, and be concerned about this fall? Well, I think we're coming off a really interesting time, right? Like we've been through the pandemic. We know how viruses, we've always known how viruses impact our kids, right? And kind of put everybody at halt for a period of time. And we also know that schools and daycares and, you know, all of these things, colleges, they're all a hotbed of germs, so to speak. But I think what we need to be thinking about as we head back, and I think what we've learned, if we're all brutally honest with ourselves, that isolation and separation is not the answer. You know, maybe it's the answer if you have someone very sick with a compromised immune system, or you have a super, super young child, you know, and, and you're trying to build their immune system before you put them out into this germ bed. But I think that, you know, as we head into the fall, we've got to accept the fact that our kids are going to get exposed to viruses. And whether those viruses are the flu you know, upper respiratory viruses in the family of adenoviruses, uh, COVID or infections like strep, you know, regardless, they're going to get exposed. I think the fear needs to be not that they're going to get exposed. I think that's a given, but I think the conversation again needs to be more around how can I optimize my child's immune system? So if they, if and when they are exposed, 
they will recover quickly. It doesn't become a chronic illness. They're not in the bed for days on end, you know, and the whole entire family around that child can stay healthy through this as well. I think we can expect to answer your question. I think we can expect surely to see COVID different strains of COVID. Uh, What we're finding with COVID, it is getting weaker and weaker. We do see new viruses emerging, things like monkeypox, but that's not really a threat to kids necessarily. We also know that the old guys are still around. So flu, you know, we might see a new strain of the flu or a different strain of flu. And then we'll see the common colds and coughs and other things that we've dealt with for so long with children. Yeah. So you mentioned monkeypox. So we shouldn't really worry about that for our kids. No, I think the last, I was looking at the data just to get a sense of what was happening before I jumped on, but there are only two cases right now in the U.S. And the mainly the main population vulnerable to monkeypox is the adult population and is spread through contact. So at this point in time, it's not an issue for children unless they come into contact, physical contact, skin to skin contact with somebody who has it. Now, you know, it is interesting because I I did an interview with somebody recently, another doctor, fourth generation doctor, who was talking about how as the planet gets more populated, as we live in closer proximity, as there is less distance between animals and humans and parts of the globe, then we are going to see more of these animal to human type viruses. And we are going to be presented with new stuff. And I think we can't, I think the media wants to scare us and act like this is shocking and, you know, something that we all need to panic about. And that's sensationalism, you know, to, to a point. And I do think we all need to be educated and understand what's happening. But I think a viral load is to be expected. And I think a viral load in conjunction with a toxic load in the current environment is to be expected. And so what that does to all of us as parents, you know, is how do we keep ourselves and our families and our kids, you know, super healthy? What do we need to do? to really make sure that, you know, we are optimizing their immune systems, you know, we're providing them with the best environment that we can provide them in given today's, you know, challenges, but not walk around in fear that their virus is out there. And so when the Omicron booster comes out, should kids be vaccinated if they've already been vaccinated? I think it depends on their viral load. If they've already been vaccinated, recently, then they don't need to turn around and do yet another vaccine. What's going to happen, and this may be a different viewpoint for your audience, I'm not sure, but really what's going to happen is going to, it's going to be like the flu vaccine. There's going to be a lot of guessing as to what strain we're dealing with and, you know, we'll vaccinate the population. There's hope that by vaccinating the population, the, the particular strain or virus is correct, or that if someone does get a different strain of a particular virus, it's not as dangerous for them, like they don't get as sick. I would say the research on that is 50-50, and your decision is probably 50-50 as well. So I would say the people that should get vaccinated again have either not gotten a vaccine or are in that category of the super sick. They have an immune dysfunction. They are on a ton of different medications. You know, they have another chronic disease. They're going to be your more vulnerable population. Now, what the other piece of the pediatric puzzle is that we do know COVID is harder on the kids that are overweight. You know, so really, again, paying attention to BMI and weight and obesity in general is a player in managing uh, their response to COVID. So we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about all of the easy ways that we can boost our kids' immune system this fall. 
If mealtimes are stressful and you just can't get your kids to eat what you make, then you've got to get them in the kitchen. Cooking with my kids has really gone a long way in encouraging them to try new foods and eat their veggies. But most of us aren't chefs, and that's why I love the Kids Cook Real Food e-course. This course was created by a mom of four and a former elementary school teacher, and it's for kids ages two to teen. You'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping list, and kid-friendly recipes. The course also has a ton of substitutions, so if your kids have food allergies or dietary restrictions, they've got you covered. My daughters and I have taken the course, and it was so easy to follow along that they made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken this course, and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. All you have to do to sign up is go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. Most of the time, I don't even know why I cook meals because all my kids want are snacks. But finding healthy snacks with real food ingredients that are also affordable isn't always easy. And that's why I love Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable. Everything is organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. My kids are all about the Lara bars and the Go Raw cinnamon snacking seeds. Thrive Market also has essential groceries, safe supplements, non-toxic home products like Truce, which is one of my favorite cleaners. And they also have clean beauty products, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, and more. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues where you can sign up and see my favorite items. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a family in need. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. All right, Dr. Taz. So let's talk about our kids and nutrition. So most of them are picky eaters. And so what are your best tips for getting those fruits and vegetables in their diets? Yeah, kids are tough. I mean, I always tell stories about how mine were just angels. Like they ate avocado and green smoothies and salmon and all the lovely things until they go to school and get bombarded with chicken nuggets, french fries and mac and cheese. So that in turn changes their taste buds and they no longer want all the healthy stuff, you know, that you're creating and providing for them at home. So it can be an absolute challenge. You know, what I've learn to navigate over time. Mine are, you know, now teenagers. So what I've learned is that it's all about negotiation and budgets and rewards. So, you know, there are some non, non-negotiables. So first of all, trying to get in more of those fermented foods, because those fermented foods, if you remember, are going to be helpful with gut health. And so much of our immune systems are based on a healthy gut. So I think the first kind of red flag for everybody is if your child doesn't have a healthy gut, then that's something we need to jump all over. You know, uh, we really want them going to the bathroom every day, not having belly pain, all those type of things. And the fermented foods help with that. And so by that, I'm referring to yogurt. And as uh, the season kind of uh, gets colder, maybe even doing some broth-based soups that are going to help and making those flavorful so your child will, you know, will have those. We also want to do, you know, if they'll do things like 
fermented veggies, but you mix it into something so they don't know that it's there. But trying to get that category in somehow, I found through, you know, the best bet is usually things like yogurt and brats. Those seem to work really well. So I think that's one group of foods that are really important for immune health. I think the next group is going to be, you know, foods high in vitamin D and high in omega-3 fats. Your fatty fishes do a good job with this. Things like salmon or tuna, almonds kind of fall into that category with giving us some of the omega-3. So any of your nut butters, as long as your child can tolerate those, are helpful as well. We know that those two group of nutrients, both vitamin D and the omega-3 fats, they take inflammation down. And we all know that the immune system just functions so much better when there's not a lot of inflammation. So I think that's another place to go when you're trying to bring more healthy foods in. And then I think the last category is an ongoing journey. I think it's getting those antioxidants in. It's almost like you want to imagine the cells and you want to plump them up with lots of like great vitamin A and vitamin C and you know glutathione and all these things that that feed the cells so they can fight off viruses and bacteria. And so those viruses and bacteria, even if they invade, have a very limited opportunity to stay around and to and to replicate. So how do we do that? Well, it's lots of fruits and vegetables, trying to get four to six servings at least per day, and then finding ways, creative ways to introduce those. So snack time, you know, fruits and vegetables are out versus chips and, you know, some of the other things that kids gravitate towards trying to get in maybe one green smoothie a day. I have that deal with my kids. I'm like, if you're not going to eat all this stuff, then you've got to go drink the green smoothie. And so trying to make, you know, some, some negotiation that way. So they get the load of antioxidants into their system and then constantly reintroducing and experimenting with different types of fruits and vegetables and finding the ones that, that they like and resonate with. Like you might have a kid that likes spinach but hates kale or someone that loves broccoli but hates Brussels sprouts. But, you know, kids have uh, taste buds. And what we're trying to do is develop those taste buds and develop those taste buds to have an appreciation for that type of food. Now, what happens is if they're being overloaded with salt, with, uh, you know, processed foods, then it does change their taste. So they naturally don't have the motivation and inclination to go for those healthy foods, which is exactly what I've seen you know, at home where when they were little, it was easy and they would ask for all the healthy stuff. Then they go off to school. Now they're slowly becoming teenagers and they're, you know, it's hard for them to stay motivated in that because their friends are going out or this one's going out, but, but their health now, now they're health motivated, right? They want to look good. They want to have clean skin. You know, they have all these other motivations. It's really cute to see my, my son who, who just, who just turned 13 suddenly be like body conscious and like, (laughs) oh my gosh, I need to work out. And like, um, I'm not going to have that sugar mom. I mean, it's really, it's really, it's cute and it's endearing, but at the same time, it's like they themselves can see like when I eat this, this happens to me. So now we're getting that kind of motivation. But those would be like if parents are trying to organize their brains around how do I do this, those would be probably the three main categories I would say to focus on. We want to avoid sugar because that's inflammatory. Are there other foods to avoid and how do we manage it all without making our kids feel like they're missing out? Yeah, I think if you, again, it's about focus, right? We don't want to give them 50 things to avoid or start to become super paranoid that, oh my God, they got like 
a teaspoon of something in their system. But I think we focus on sugar and I don't think it's realistic to eliminate sugar. I think that's very unrealistic for children, but we focus on the amount. And if we want a dessert every day or something sweet every day, then we can't have sweet drinks and we can't have multiple sweet things or or foods with high fructose corn syrup in it throughout the day. So you know, sort of creating that sense of budgeting and restraint with your child, I think is important. I think uh, eliminating processed foods, I think that is probably a bigger issue than anything else, because that is what's changing taste buds. So getting out of the Chick-fil-A line, getting out of the fast food lines, you know, uh, even if you are in a rush, like packing food from home and taking it with you to sports and to games and to things like that, but really not being dependent on processed foods because of convenience, you know, as a a means of feeding your child. And again, maybe it's something you do once a week, or if you know that they're going to spend a lot of time with friends, then that's an option that they can have. That's, that's their time to use that card, but they can't be doing that over and over again throughout the day. So I would say high sugar foods for sure processed foods with a lot of additives and chemicals and MSG and all that stuff. And it would be the second. And then the third group I would say is maybe a little bit variable and dependent on the family and dependent on the child. You know, some people have a lot of issues with excessive amounts of dairy. So I would say watching heavy dairy, not yogurt that we talked about, but watching things like cheese and ice cream and stuff like that, that can weigh on certain kids. You can watch their bowel patterns to figure out if that's a particular issue for them. And then I would say high gluten foods, right? So, you know, if your day is consumed with gluten, which is also an inflammatory protein, uh, maybe scaling back on that, finding, finding ways around that. So not having like pasta and pizza and, you know, bread, three and four and five times throughout the day, really starting to bring that load down. And that in general is an anti-inflammatory way of sort of, of living. And if your kids can do a modified version of that, they'd be way ahead of the game when it comes to their immune health. Great. Yeah. And I think one of the most common questions that parents have is, should I give my kids vitamin supplements? or should we be, you know, giving them antioxidants and probiotics this time of year? Um, as a supplement, yes. I mean, I especially if you have a child that's on cooperative, I would say yes. Um, I think doing a probiotic is health is helpful because it is improving overall flora in the gut. And for many kids that have chronic constipation or reflux or weird, you know, rashes, you know, those type of issues, they find that a probiotic is helpful. The key is always quality, right? You've got to read your labels. You want to make sure you have something for your child that's at least around five to 10 billion, you know, CFUs with a good range of bacteria in it. And it's a product that says, you know, that is what it says it is, meaning the bacteria are still stable and alive because there is degradation as they sit on a shelf. And so I think a probiotic is a helpful supplement for sure. I think if you have someone who's not doing fruits and vegetables, who absolutely refuses, doing some sort of antioxidant supplement is very helpful. Now in practice, you know, we're getting kids that have particular issues. And when we test them, we have the liberty of testing them. And when we test them, we're able to find that they're low, right? In particular, in something very specific, like they're low in C or low in glutathione or low in CoQ10 or or any of these things. So for many of those kids, we're doing targeted supplementation. So we're able to say, based on your chemistry, these are the things you're missing. So I think uh, gener- if we're going generically, I think generically a probiotic is helpful. 
Um, I think an antioxidant supplement is definitely helpful. I think a lot of kids have gut issues. So I actually love using glutamine, which is an amino acid to build the gut and actually helps to repair the gut lining, improving immune health indirectly. And there are many kids too that actually need um, not just those, but they actually need some uh, uh, vitamin D support too. So activity is really important too to the immune system. And, you know, I think as a working mom, it's the biggest challenge that I have. I'm just kind of getting my kids to to move when they're coming home at five o'clock. And so what can parents do to to motivate their kids and, and maybe even make it a family affair? Yeah, this is a big one. And it, I think, again, it so depends on the age of the child. But one of the things that I think would be healthy for the entire family is And here's where I have a pet peeve, and I I bet parents with kids my age would understand this, but like I've got two kids in three or four different sports, and they're coming home at different times. So there isn't that time for like a family physical activity. But if you're in the phase of child rearing, maybe the elementary phase or younger, where kids are coming home and they're not scheduled with all these different sports and activities, well, that's a great opportunity. You know, put your shoes on, put the work down, go for a walk, you know, like go for a walk outside, take your kids with you or play a game outside, you know, make it fun, uh, invite a few friends over. But there needs to be this natural, like kind of fun built into the end of a school day or a work day that I think our society is really missing. So, you know, if you're fortunate to live in a neighborhood, like get out there in the neighborhood, you know, um, and have some of that physical activity. My husband talks all the time about, you know, how, you know, the way he grew up, which was different from the way I grew up, you know, everybody would get home from school. There was like this big green common area. Everyone would like put their stuff down, go to the common area and play and then come back in for dinner and do homework. And the day was done. But I feel like we've got such crazy over scheduling of 50 activities right now that that never happens, even if you're in a neighborhood, you know, so I think trying to create like a nice natural break and getting kids out in nature is really important from an activity standpoint. Great. And what about sleep? Because it, it, you know, research shows kids just aren't getting enough. So how much do they need and how can we make sure that they're in bed at, at the right time? Well, if you want to make sure they're in bed at the right time, grab those phones and iPads and TVs or whatever other electronic device they have access to. So I've been monitoring my two and checking to see if if they're responsible enough to have everything shut down when when I actually have it shut down. But we'll see. The word is still out on that. Um, But I think that, um, yeah, the blue light is the biggest reason kids are up. You know, they're overstimulated. Their brains can't rest, you know, and... Um, Like you said, they've been indoor and stimulated by the same light for hours on end. A lot of the schoolwork, that's another thing that ticks me off. A lot of the schoolwork nowadays is on the computer. So they're never getting a break from this light stimulation that's then impacting the pineal gland, right, that regulates our melatonin production. So we've got these really young kids who've been stimulated all day long, and then we expect them to go to sleep. So little ones, you know, I would say your preschool and your elementary kids, they need 10 to 12 hours of sleep at night. As we get into middle school, it's more around eight to 10 and high school is around eight. And sometimes that's not happening. And some studies actually argue that the high schoolers need even more than eight. Um, But what's happening instead is that you've got high schoolers in sports. They're not getting home till six or seven. They've got four hours of homework. They're staying up till 11 or 12. You know, they're waking up early. They're on all kinds of energy drinks or whatever's latest on TikTok. So they're functioning in this kind of exaggerated 
cortisol state all the time. And then we wonder why there's a mental health crisis, you know? So I think that, you know, the way to emphasize sleep is to put some rules in the family that honestly, even I'm still working on of where you turn phones in, you turn gadgets in, you know, you watch their activity load and make sure they're not overscheduled so that they are getting the sleep that they need and they can rest. Now, at the same time, Many kids, when we go to test, are very low in key nutrients. They're low in things like magnesium. They're low in uh, the healthy fats. They're low in B vitamins. And these are the nutrients needed to regulate serotonin so that the brain can naturally calm down. So some of our kids, for example, take magnesium at night or they take a very tiny melatonin supplement so they can kind of get into that sleep state, especially after being stimulated all day. So, you know, those are some of the things you can use. There There are other hacks everything from essential oil, oils that calm the nervous system down to grounding sheets that kind of change sort of the electromagnetic field around a child and can kind of help calm them down. You know, so there, those are additional things, sound baths that kind of lull you into sleep. These are all different ways of trying to get your child into that resting state. But, but fundamentally, they're just overstimulated across the board. Of course, coming off of covid you know, like you mentioned, mental health crisis, kids are under so much stress these days. How can we help them? Because that impacts immunity as well. Yeah. I mean, COVID was interesting, right? I think we, I, I don't know about you, but I think the lesson was kids can't be separated from one another. I watched my daughter go downhill mentally, you know, my son gained a bunch of weight through it. So I just, it's not, it's not what, what we need to be doing for our children. We, we got to figure solutions out around that. So I think the biggest thing for kids in stress and their mental health is creating community that's supportive, creating family that's supportive and creating space and time to breathe. I think that, you know, when I look at the experiences I've had and I look at other children that come through the, the practice, many times mental health issues and, and anxiety issues and focus issues are based in a mismatch. It's a mismatch uh, of the child to the environment that they're in, or it's a mismatch in the sense that the child does not feel accepted. And that in turn creates this mental health crisis then that everyone tries to medicate with you know medications and all other things which ultimately don't work i think they lead to other mental health issues so i think when you have a child that is exhibiting signs of stress which those signs and symptoms vary over the course of a child's journey right so the younger ones may have bedwetting or you know belly issues or stooling issues or they're not sleeping or they're crying a lot as they get older you might not see that but you see withdrawal and isolation and you know more severe behaviors like self-harm and um you know or resorting to substances to medicate that feeling so whatever the signs of stress are i think it's it's a wake-up call for the family to really take a hard look at the choices and the structure of the environment around the child and make sure they're in a supportive environment, whether that's support from the parents and the language the parents are using from the extended family and then even within their school, you know. And so I think you've got to match all that up and make sure they're in a place where where they can thrive. And then after that, if they're still struggling, it's looking for the chemistry underneath that. Like, are they having hormonal imbalances? Are they having big nutritional imbalances? Are they having other issues that could be playing into this and then getting professional help if things aren't improving? 
And when you mentioned focus issues and it being a potential mismatch, we're not talking about ADHD, right? We're kind of talking about ADHD. We're not directly talking about ADHD. I mean, I think ADHD is overdiagnosed. Um, I think it's overmedicated. Um, I think it is a a school mismatch. I do. I feel like um, for a lot of kids with ADHD, they're just developmentally in a different place. And the schooling system is not where it can meet them, right. you know? Yep. So I think that's the first issue. I think the second issue is we are seeing brains that are overstimulated for different reasons. And until we deal with that medically, like how do we calm these overstimulated brains down without just medicating everybody to death, then then we're going to continue to have a crisis with mental health, you know, because many times these ADHD drugs are gateway drugs for other things and bring about side effects that just worsen other mental health symptoms like anxiety, OCD, you know, bipolar, so, uh, so many of the other ones that, that we get. So I feel like we're a little too quick to the draw to talk about and to label kids with ADD and ADHD. I feel like there are kids that struggle, but is that struggle because they're in the wrong educational system or is that struggle because there's something really off with their brain? You know, so I think that's a hard question. And I think that's a question that needs to be asked one child at a time. And, you know, a really hard look needs to be taken at everything, you know, at everything going on around them. Yeah, those are all great points. Well, Dr. Taz, thank you so much for your time today. Where can listeners go to learn more about you and your work? Oh, my goodness. So I am all over social. I'm on Instagram, Dr. Taz, D-R-T-A-Z-M-D. You can come into my website if you want more support around some of these issues and join my Superwoman Circle. Uh, My website is Dr. Taz, D-O-C-T-O-R-T-A-Z dot com. And I'm on TikTok as well. So you can find me. I have all kinds of little handy ways of delivering information. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Take care. Dr. Taz is a wealth of knowledge, and I really loved having her on the podcast. Be sure to head on over to drtaz.com, which I've linked to in the show notes to learn more. I hope that you enjoyed season seven. I'll be taking a hiatus for a few weeks, but I'll be back with a new season of amazing guests and topics to help you raise healthy eaters. So be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen so you won't miss a single episode. Thank you so much for tuning into the Food Issues Podcast. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com where you can leave me a voicemail or send me a message and let me know about a new topic or guest you'd like to hear from. And be sure to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. 